0: Hello, I'm Sean Finnegan, and you are listening to Restitutio, a podcast to get you thinking about biblical and historical Christianity, to inspire you to follow Christ, and to convict you to lead a consecrated life. John McCabe has faithfully served God as a minister for 36 years. In this interview, he shares his story of how God brought him from a hardened, tough guy to a humble servant motivated by love. McCabe also shares key insights he's gained along the way, especially with regard to his wife, Mary, without whose support he could never have succeeded. Although this interview is chock full of fascinating firsthand accounts of what God has done in his life, McCabe's humility, more than anything else, shines through as an example for all of us. Here now is Interview 29, God's Faithful Minister with John McCabe. Hello and welcome to Restitutio. Thanks. To get started, how long have
1: you been in ministry? Well, I was ordained 36 years ago and I've been really since 1974. I've been teaching God's Word in my church and actually my home fellowship. That's where I started up. So that's a long time.
0: Yeah, 36 years. <laughs>
1: that's no joke. Yeah, 36 years is when I got ordained. That was in 1982. Wow. For
0: those who don't know and are listening in, where, where are you located and what sorts of groups do you work
1: with? Well, I'm located on Long Island. I live in Levittown, New York. I am the pastor there of uh, Christian Outreach Fellowships. And uh, have home Bible fellowships all over Long Island. I have one in Rhode Island, one in, in Florida. And uh, hopefully more as time goes by, but uh, it's been a wonderful, unique thing to watch God really open up people's, put them in our path, and open up their heart. And uh, it's just been a wonderful, really wonderful experience.
0: And how long have you been in Long Island ministering?
1: Since 1982, I've been there physically. Okay. Or, or yeah, 1982, yeah. Huh.
0: Wow, so you've been there for a long time. You've seen people grow up, you've seen people get married, people die, the whole gamut. Yeah. Over the course of your many years, what would you say, to start off, is the most significant of what God has given you?
1: The most significant thing in my life that God has really given me to allow me to do the ministry is my wife. We were married in 1974. So we've been married now for uh, almost 43 years, coming this next month. She is the most significant thing. And the reason I say that is really because, you know, when we started out, we were both unbelievers. We started going to fellowship together, you know, we got witness to. I told her that she had to show up. She had to come, otherwise she'd take a hike. She stuck with me then. She's always been much more spiritual and uh, faithful than I. Uh, she's been my bedrock in my whole life. But she has uh, faithfully followed my lead and uh, willingly and allowed me to go into the WACOR and spiritual training that I received there. She followed me. She gave up. An enormous amount. She thought it was just going to be for a short period of time. Mm-hmm. You know, she gave up the house. She gave up the, the white picket fence, the whole thought, so that we could go to this college together. And, uh, again, she did better there than I did. But um, So we went for the three years, and then we thought, okay, we start our lives again and just go ahead and run a fellowship in our home and teach the Bible. I get regular job. But I was asked to have a much larger responsibility. I didn't think I could do it, but she was the one that encouraged me and said, you know, you can. God's working in you. You can do this. Let's let's come back to that in a second. But I just want to ask about your wife
0: because marriage is is a complicated matter. (laughs) (laughs) And within ministry, I mean, I haven't been in ministry nearly as long as you, but I have seen several times where the marriage fails because of whatever reason somebody cheated on somebody else or they couldn't get along. And the, the, you know, that, that dynamic between the pastor and his wife hmm. is not what you just described here. What I heard you say that I found really significant was that she lets you lead. Mm-hmm. Is that what you said? Yeah. She lets you lead. And you know if you marry a competent woman then she's going to be capable of leading. Oh, she's capable of leading. <laughs> right. Right. But if she doesn't let you lead, then it's right. you've got a deadlock.
1: Well, yeah. I mean, we're both type A personalities. Both of us are well capable and let's put it this way, it's not always perfect. I mean, every marriage, you know, has its times. But the the point is that I have always put her first. She selected me on her end. She's always told me because she knew I don't she would always be safe. And I have kept my oath in those things and uh, she knows that I will. I've made plenty of mistakes and she has let me know that I've made plenty of mistakes. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know, so don't let me paint the utopian point of view with this, but um, no, the the in the major spiritual markers, the places where great decisions had to be made. She has let me lead and choose, and she has chosen to follow, willfully. You know, one of one of the major ones, Sean, was uh, when I was ordained. You know, I was uh, I knew God was working in me. I knew that. Something was special here. And I knew that this, the Lord sort of let me know that this day was coming. And then when I was invited to be ordained, I went and asked her permission. Because I wouldn't do it without her permission. I made an oath to her before God first. And I could not violate that oath. With One and I think that's what a lot of people's mistakes are.
0: Yeah. I mean, it's it's an interesting Situation where on the one hand, of course, you don't want to idolize your wife and put her above God But at the on the other hand Your first responsibility before God is your wife before Ministering to other people or holding any kind of a position.
1: Well, that's what it says in Timothy So if you can't take care of your own home husband of one wife children in an order you don't qualify to be a minister. Yeah,
0: and I've definitely seen that happen, where a minister works so hard, works themselves to the bone, trying to run this Bible study and, and do this class and do this children's program over here. But they and don't then, take care of their own home. And Then their wife leaves, or the the marriage is a disaster. That and, for, and my and in my own my own experience, that's a real challenge to find that. To find that balance and, and I and I have said to my wife multiple times, I mean, look, if it gets to be too much for you mm-hmm. you let me know
1: yeah, there is a sacrifice involved and when I asked my wife, I, I told her, I said, you know the dreams that i've the things that I told you that I would give you i can't I can't promise that that'll, that'll ever happen, like I said, she's always been. You know, just as committed to God, if not more so than I. But it's her permission that allowed me to do it. Yet I have always realized and not always practiced it perfectly. Believe me, I've, I've made many mistakes, especially in the young part of our marriage, where I didn't put her first. I didn't take care of my first oath. And each oath is, has to be paid for God. God doesn't require a man to break one oath in order to keep another. I, I don't believe in balance like you were talking about, keeping a balance. No, th- these are responsibilities that are added to
0: right. priorities.
1: Uh, yes. One doesn't sacrifice off the other. Now, if you have, you know, my, my wife has allowed me to do, and, you know, even in doing this, God has blessed her immensely. But it was the Lord that took care of her. And uh, I did the best I can, but it really has been the Lord. But she made that choice, that commitment with me. She's the one that's uh, responsible for thing that I've ever been able to do for anyone else.
0: Well, let's talk about some of those other experiences you've had along the way. What, hmm. what, what do you think would be encouraging for people to
1: hear? One of the things that you really have to understand is God knows who you are, He loves you, and He has chosen you, the person. You know, I have grown over the years, but when He called me, um, there wasn't much to look at from a worldly point of view. Did know how to read, uh, didn't really have any grace as far as socially, uh, but God called, and all I cared to do once I got to know him was tell other people about him. I had a deep hunger, no not really great ability, but a great desire and a deep hunger to tell others about him. You know, I've always failed. I have failed miserably, day in and day out, week after week, year after year, with many of the things i mean all christians struggle with their their flesh their their abilities their inabilities whatever i mean i don't i don't have any real uh, desire to knock myself down but i but i realize who i am and i have great dreams i know what the bible says can be done i really i really know what is possible when i read the scriptures and yet I've seen glimpses of it through the years, but never the consistency that I know that's available in Scripture. And I am sure almost every God-fearing Christian man and woman feels the same way. But the thing that has given me great strength is to know that God knew who I was when he called me. Therefore, I give him my 100% best today. I give him my 100%, the best I can be, the best I can do. And and if that's only 20% of what somebody else, you know, they could do 80% more than I, I still gave him my 100. Right. And he accepts it.
0: Yeah, so you don't worry about comparing yourself to others. You're no. worry about instead doing what, what God's
1: called you to do. Keep my eyes on the Lord and do my best for
0: him. All right, let's 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 talk about some of these glimpses you've had over the years. Can, mm-hmm. you, can you think of a specific incident where you really saw God at work?
1: When I started running a fellowship in my home, I had this great desire to do it. And like I said to you before, I really didn't know how to read. I was probably at a first, second grade reading level at that time in my life. I just made this commitment to teach. And my wife was there. And uh, a gentleman by the name of Bob Matadomini came to my house, and he was going to teach me how to do a fellowship. And I just reconnected with him not too long ago. So he came for a few weeks, and it was the three of us sitting there. And what I would do is I would memorize the scripture. Wow, that's a lot harder. (laughs) I I I would listen to a teaching because I had a very good memory. I would listen to someone's teaching. I would digest the teaching. I would memorize the scriptures that were in this specific teaching. Obviously the teaching wasn't uh, more than half an hour long, and then uh, but I knew the major points and I would flip my Bible, I'd open my Bible and make believe that I was reading from it. <laughs> Unbelievable. <laughs> you know, and my wife made this commitment and she went door to door to everyone in our town we marked it off on the map every single address and she personally knocked on every door and asked people to come it's probably about 70,000 people in that town <laughs> wow
0: that's and a lot of doors
1: no <clears> but <throat> and really nobody came until we had uh, two ladies two lesbian ladies that wanted to come and and we had them in our fellowship and Again, I was sitting there with Mary after Bob left, and it was she and I, and we did this twice a week, and nobody came for a year. Wow. And then my wife joined the bowling league. So one night a week, she would leave to go bowling, and I would sit there, and I would teach the walls <laughs> because I made a commitment to God. And then after those two lesbian ladies came, and. They came for a long time, and we got to share the word with them. And then they figured out that God wasn't real happy with their lifestyle, right? and they left. You know, I wasn't going to make it a point. I just let the scripture play out, and they read it for themselves, and they decided to leave. But we just continued. And then one day, this gentleman by the name of John Paul Estremo, he showed up and uh, he's a fabulous believer, and uh, I haven't seen him since, but um, he had friends and connections, and then all of a sudden, other people that we would meet would start to come, so then I had, in a very short period of time, I had over 25 or 30 people in my living room, which is a (laughs) one-bedroom back of the house, so I had people sitting on the Bathtub, the toilet bowl, the hallway, all throughout the living room on the floor, and uh, into the kitchen and anywhere else we could put them. And we would teach. And we would teach the word. And from that fellowship, you know, this is all before I went into the WACOR and the training thing, I'd come home from work. And get cleaned up, you know, memorize my teaching. You know, I've been working it all the time. I'd listen to it on a cassette tape in the car, and I would memorize these things and I had uh, quite a few scriptures memorized, and uh, then I would teach twice a week. So let's go back to this preaching to the wall business. Well, what was that
0: all about? Was that about, you said you had made a commitment What was that that commitment?
1: uh, My commitment was I, I I had it on my heart to teach his word. And I knew I wasn't, you know, I was faking reading. Right. But I was determined to be able to be of help to God in this. And I really believe from reading scripture that once a man made a commitment to God to do something, that it would be done no matter what the circumstances whether you seem like you were failing or succeeding had nothing to do with whether you did it or not yeah i remember reading in uh, the prophet isaiah god told him to go out you know and 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 preach to these people and yet god told him nobody's, nobody's going to listen, listen. <laughs> nobody's going to but god asked him to do it and he faithfully executed it for over 40 years wow so for you it was
0: a matter of commitment faith perseverance and then
1: eventually not right away but eventually people showed up they started to show up but you know what when you're doing it for a year or so and nobody shows you're going to find out whether you got the guts to keep going on because it may be that nobody will ever show Mm -hmm. you know you're tested in that and i was tested in that many times but if no one else heard, the walls would hear. But my wife, she always stuck with me. Yeah, I mean, like yeah. I said, until she, you got the bowling. Uh, she loved the bowling. Uh, so I said, go ahead, you got to do this because we, we did it on Tuesdays and Thursday nights, if I remember. And it was Thursday night that they did the bowling league. So I said, you know, the season's only so long, so go ahead, enjoy. And uh, nothing wrong with that. But I still maintained. I did it because I loved God, because I knew he loved me. I just knew he loved me. I watched him answer prayers, Sean, that uh, just curled my toes. And when I talking about major healing, I Just he proved himself to me. It was a lot like that for myself when it came to coming to a knowledge of the truth, because I really was hard-hearted. I really did not believe that there was a God. You know, I had delved into, I was a really good heathen, and I had delved into, I was raised a Catholic, I always loved God as a little kid, and then I realized how just corrupt, and I talked to the nun, and they'd tell me one thing, talk to the priest, they'd tell me another, one one person tell me I'm going to hell, and the other person would tell me, no, that's okay, don't worry about it. Right. And it got confusing. So as a young man, I just I remember uh walking into the church when I was 13. I walked into St. Joseph's Roman Catholic Church on 30th Avenue between 43rd uh, and 44th Street. I walked down to the sanctuary in this big, you know, you can picture one of those like big long runways, you know. Yeah. And I talked to you know, on the altar, where the Lord was supposed to be. And I said, listen, these people you got here, I said, if you're really here, these people you got here, they're just not making any sense. And I don't really know if you're here because of that. I mean, I'd lost my confidence, my faith, that anything that they were saying held water because of the contradictions. So I said, if you're really here, you can talk to me.
0: Rather than go through the priest and the nun.
1: Yeah. I said, and in my mind, whether I said this out loud, I don't remember. I, I remember, I said, if you're really here, you can talk to me if you're God. Mm-hmm. And I said, and here I am. And I waited. I was quiet. I waited for about 30, 40 seconds, and there was <laughs> okay. nothing, nothing said. So I said, the last thing I remember saying, the last thing I remember saying, and, I, and it's as vivid as the day I said it, said, okay, obviously you're not here. You know where I am. If you're out there, you know where I am. I would love to know you. But until that day, we're done. And I walked out. I never went back to church. Like I said, I became a really good heathen. And... Um, The day that that changed was, I had started to get into the scriptures. It was probably 1971. I had started to learn the scriptures, I started to learn about the things of God, and um, I remember asking my brother to teach me how to speak in tongues, because I really wanted to manifest the spirit. And uh, he said, I don't have time right now. I said, you're gonna teach me right now how to speak in tongues. So he came over, because I was the big brother, he was a little brother. He came over, he taught me, gave me like a three-minute lesson on uh, what it was all, because I knew a little bit about it. But he, So he gave me a three-minute lesson, half-heartedly, and then uh, led me into into tongues. And So I spoke in tongues, and, and I was like, it was like, oh, you know, this was like an unbelievable moment. And he left. Cause he was he was he just ran out the door because he was late for a date, and I was there speaking in tongues in my living room with tears coming down my eyes, and God showed me this picture. He showed me vividly me standing in front of the tabernacle at that church, and I heard myself say, "You're obviously not here, but I'd like to know you." And right there and then, while I'm speaking in tongues, he shows me this picture and says, Welcome home, John.
0: Oh, wow. That must have blown your mind, huh?
1: Changed my life from that moment on.
0: All right. Well, how did you get from being a heathen (laughs) into any kind of interest for the things of God?
1: I had no interest for the things of God, really. I had an interest in spiritual things. I was getting into uh, spiritualism. At had a witch that was teaching us guys uh, at the job, and she was teaching us how to levitate tables, how to do other things, and, you know, uh, we'd leave a chair open for the spirit to join us. Oh, boy. And uh, we'd do this down at the bar. We, we, in fact, we freaked the guy out. Who's running the bar? Uh, A friend of mine, he and I went down drinking in Manhattan one day. It was, uh, I can't remember exactly what day it was. It was just me and Peter went, and we went down to drink, and uh, we bought Southern Comfort, a of Southern Comfort. We'd just go walk around Manhattan, see what kind of trouble we could get into. This big dude walked up to us. He He seemed like I was a fairly large guy, but this was a big guy. Wow, yeah walked up to us in a big black cape and just walked up to us like he knew us and he says, you need to leave Manhattan. He says, because tonight is the witch's Sabbath. And then right after he said that and we're looking at each other like, you know, this is spooky.
0: Especially (laughs) who's wearing a cape, right?
1: (laughs) And we didn't know him. And right after that, two shots rang out. And, you know, two gunshots rang out uh, behind us down the block. And from what I understand, after I got home that night, two cops got shot down the street from us. We heard the shots, and we just got in the car and started to go back to Queens. Wow. And while I'm going over the 59th Street Bridge, my friend is driving, he's all freaked out because of this spiritual thing that just has happened. It's really crept into our bones. I mean, I get to this point where we're in this Cadillac convertible going over the 59th Street Bridge, and I get to this point, and I realize that there is a devil. It really is. This is not a game. And I said, if there really is a devil, then there must be a God. Right. And I remember asking, God, if you're really out there, I really would like to know you. Because I didn't want to go down the road with this other thing, which I was on my way. Right. You were interested in it, though. Well, spiritual things, yeah. But, again, the religion that I grew up in didn't seem to be, didn't have any word. It had people that contradicted one another. It had rules and regulations that didn't make any sense to me. It had a lot of liturgy. I mean, back then, the, the mass that I would go to was in Latin. You, you couldn't even understand uh, what yeah. was going on at the time. That wasn't changed So, yet. And then when the nuns and the priests couldn't answer simple questions the same way. I remember once I said, you know, is it a sin to kiss the girl? And one said, you know, the nun says, you're going to hell. And the priest said, nice, sure, it's fine. God, God's made us to enjoy each other. He so said, you just want, don't want to take it too far. So I'm go- either going to hell or it's okay. Right. You know, and this is all on the same day I asked the question. So to me, there was no authority. It was just make it up as you go along and be there because you belong. And I wasn't... At 13 years old, I was not putting up with that.
0: So how did you get from driving over that bridge on the way back to Queens to... Again, get- I
1: didn't do anything. I, I yelled out the prayer with my heart. And it was a week later that my brother, Kevin McCabe, he brought to me, he started t- telling me about God. My brother and I didn't get along real well. And I didn't like, I thought he was out of his mind. We were both two different people, and uh, we just didn't, we weren't real close, let's put it that way, to make it it light. Um, He started teaching me, telling me about Jesus and stuff, and I beat him up and left him, you know, I just beat the heck out of him that day. And then uh, he tried again a little bit later, and then my mother got into this, and she started telling me. I went to check out what they were into. And what was your head going into that situation? Oh, my head was totally into I'm protecting my mother mode. I wanted to know who these creeps were. Who were these con men? Yeah, exactly. After her money, what do they want? Yeah, so I went up there. I banged on the door as hard as I could. She asked me to drive her to the fellowship in Corona Queens. I banged on the door, shook the whole wall. And then this guy, Jeff Walsh was his name. Just one of the great gifts of God in my life. Jeff, uh, tall man, slender. He opened the door with a pink satin cowboy shirt. My God, that was not (laughs) what you wanted to see back in the 70s. And I said to him, are you the SOB that's teaching the Bible to my mother? I mean, those are the words that came out of my mouth after he opened up the door. And he says, you must be John. Come on in. <laughs> we've, we've heard about you. <laughs> and they, they love me. I'll tell you this, Sean. Uh, I heard the teaching that night, not because I wanted to. I, I stuck there to find out what the heck my mother was into. Right. I heard the teaching that, that night, and I thought, well, that makes sense, but who cares? But they love me they invited me into their lives they literally did not i treated them all terribly
0: what, what did and you look all, like at this point
1: oh my hair was down to my shoulders i had um uh big heavy boots on i looked like a biker okay i looked like a biker mustache and like
0: like how old are we talking here oh 20s? i was about
1: 21 22 okay. maybe a little less
0: and uh, you, you were you were pretty well built,
1: right? Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. You know, I didn't look like I look today. That's for sure. <laughs> yeah, I had a 19 inch neck and 56 inch chest and a 36 inch waist. And you know, for fun, what I did in life was go to the bar and get into fights. I mean, that's what I did every weekend. That was that was my that was fun.
0: Right. So this is this is all part of the picture of. The, the intimidation factor that you're bringing in. And you're saying that rather than looking at you or calling the cops on you or excluding you, this this little home group, Bible yeah. study,
1: they loved you. They just, they, they ignored my demeanor. And they just, in fact, sometimes they ignored me completely. They But they did not react negatively. I, I think my mother kind of like told them, Who they were going to be meeting so it might not have been a complete shock since he says you you're oh you're john come on in but the point was that they were they weren't intimidated they were not intimidated they were not fearful they were not awkward they just simply spoke among themselves they tried to include me they were they were nice they asked me if i'd like a cup of coffee or a glass of water they were hospitable I mean, it was totally opposite everything I was giving off, and yet they they were the ones that threw me off. You know, instead of me throwing them off, they was threw that, me off. Was that
0: pretty typical that when you encounter strangers no, they would be? No, no, no,
1: no, 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 no. Nobody would even open the door if I showed up, you know, sometimes. In life back then, I was completely afraid, I mean the truth of the matter was that i was acting tough i had built all these muscles i had done everything i could to be the most intimidating man anybody would ever meet and the reason was because i was afraid i was afraid because if you're not on top and if you're not the tough guy then you are going to be the victim you're vulnerable. and i am not going to be a victim so I did everything in my power to give off in every way I could the fact that I'm the one in control here.
0: So what happened next? You left that meeting and then you went? Oh, to- I
1: went. I left that meeting, and like I said, uh, the word didn't t- necessarily touch my heart, but certainly the people did. And then my mother and my brother continued, they were both there, they they continued to try to explain to me what they were doing, and they, you know, they'd share the word with me the rest of that week, mostly my mother, because my brother knew that uh, his words weren't necessarily going to hit the mark. and uh, But he was, he was steadfast, too. I mean, I owe him everything when it comes to life. But I kept going back. I went back a couple of times, and I was dating my wife at the time. Okay. I went back a couple of times just because I wanted to see if this is really for real, or is this a one-time deal? And... I'd ask simple questions, straightforward, very simple questions. And they would teach very simple and wonderful things, like uh, how to pray. Mm -hmm. And then I would say to them, well, this is it. This is all you got to do. I still wasn't convinced there was a God at that time. I mean, or this was all real. Right. Or this was just another little thing that was going on. But... um, No, I went back, and I, with my heart, I practiced what they said. And uh, the man said to me, listen, John, if God doesn't answer your prayers, there's nothing I can do for you. This is what his word says. If you do it, he loves you. He'll answer. But if he doesn't, I can't do a blessed thing for you. Go someplace else. And I love that. I love that. That was right exactly what I needed to know and hear because everything in my life was a scam.
0: Right. So you have one person that's being honest.
1: Yeah, completely. It works or it don't work. And I tell you what, I went and prayed. Do you remember what alm- you prayed for? Well, they were they were all very insignificant and dumb things, I can tell you this. One One of them was... I prayed for, I needed a set of tires. said, so God, I need a set of tires. And I don't want to pay for them. Something like that. Something really stupid. I mean, this was like God test, you know what I mean? Right. And I prayed honestly, thinking that I am testing the scriptures. And it was with, it, the, to the best of whatever it was that was my ability at the time, I followed the teaching that the man had taught me. And, you know, that afternoon, some guy walked up to me I didn't even know lived on the block and said, I got four tires here. I think they'll fit your car. You want them?
0: Well, just out of nowhere.
1: Out of nowhere. And they did fit. That must have built your faith a little. <laughs> actually, actually, even the wheel pattern was correct. Wow. So I didn't even have to dismount the tires. I just stuck them on the car. Mm. Wow. Again, God did many things to build, and he, he'll do that for all of his kids. One of the things that I try to get God's people to understand, if you step off the cliff, he will... If he says it in his word, he will prove himself to you. He says, Prove me now here with You know, it's in it's in Malachi referring to the gift, the tithe, but he will prove he wants to prove himself to each and every one of us. It says it again in Romans chapter twelve. Mm-hmm. Prove the acceptable and perfect will of God. You know?
0: So let's let's fast forward a little bit Th- through this experience you Series of experiences at this fellowship and you're, with your family, you became a a true Christian.
1: Yeah, I guess.
0: I mean, you
1: believed in it, right? You- I oh, I believed in it, and uh, you know, I I became a Christian. I, I'm not being facetious. There's so many other people who would think that I'm still not, but that's okay by me.
0: So, <laughs> so you got you got through that, and you after that, you were doing the uh, fellowships in your house. Yes. After that, you go off to Bible college. Yeah. Then you become a missionary for a year, and of all places, Alabama.
1: Oh, yeah, yep. Yeah. Ended up in Alabama, and um, that was that was again a wonderful. That was a strange but very wonderful experience. And when I entered into Alabama, I could understand nobody, and no one could understand my New York accent. So,
0: Queens versus Alabama. Birmingham. Birmingham, or however you say that. And this was in
1: 1979. The Alabama state flag flies over old glory on the state capitol. They sign off the TV at night, not with the Star Spangled Banner, but with Dixie. Wow. And it's a different world. And it was fun. It was just so fun. and
0: um, I bet you saw some racism down there, too.
1: Yeah. I mean, again, it was a different world back then. It was just coming off the people that I had a fellowship in Selma, Alabama. Mm -hmm. The Johnsons. And just absolutely wonderful people. Sam and Thomasina Johnson. And they, uh, Thomasina... And Sam were young kids with Martin Luther King and the rest they were getting beaten on that bridge. Wow! And uh, that that's uh, awesome. You want to talk about love and racism and all the rest? And so they had they had a fellowship there. I can't remember exactly when it was, but they were so loving to Mary and I because we had our first child and Mary had, and I had you know her family was gone. We were alone, just the two of us, and you know brand new mom doesn't know what to do thomasina just took her in i sent her to selma thomasina just took her in showed her took care of her helped her because she really had a hard time with that birth i went down to, to a fellowship
0: wait so you're, are you saying your son michael was born in alabama yeah
1: he was born in alabama
0: so i knew there was something about him <laughs> <laughs>
1: Yeah, no, Mike okay, was born fine. in uh, in Alabama.
0: In your experiences down there in Alabama, you had more of these glimpses of ministry success where, where God's really at work.
1: Yeah. Well, let me go back to Sam and Thomas and Selma okay. because they, they wanted me to come to their fellowship, and obviously I wanted to go. I, I was the coordinator, but it was a long ways away, Selma. There was two fellowships. There was um, the predominantly white fellowship, and you had Tom, Sam and Thomas Cena's fellowship. Now that the the two fellowships weren't racist with one another, they would have gone to each other's fellowship. The point is that the people that came to fellowship wouldn't go oh, to one another's. Right. So they were they were both great, wonderful. Uh, the two fellowships that I had, one with a white coordinator, one with uh, the top, you know, the Johnsons w- was the black coordinator, as far as his race was concerned, but the, it was the people in the cities that wouldn't go or mix that would come to fellowship. So, anyhow, the Johnsons invited me to come to theirs, and I'm obviously a white guy. And they treated me like royalty, the Johnsons, and they, they just, the most loving people i knew back then they didn't tell the folks that were coming to their house the 15 or so people that the minister is white oh boy this was fun and i walk up like nothing's going on you know and plus i really didn't know that it was this bad right you know but i just walk up give everybody a kiss a handshake and a woman just yelled out, "He kissed me!" Yeah, I just kissed her on the cheek.
0: Why would that be a big deal?
1: Oh, it was a big deal. <laughs> was and she mad or was she happy? She or? wasn't happy, oh. and she was shocked and not happy. And uh, I just did like I didn't even hear her, and I just walked to the next one, greeted them, walked to the next one, greeted them, and they all sat down, and I taught on the love of God. And you could hear a pen drop. You could Mm -hmm. taste the distrust. You know, they were just like I was when I went to fellowship. Right. Just from a different point of view. But Sam and Thomasina, just, just, just like Jeff Walsh had dealt with me, it was like almost a mirror, ignoring the evil, ignoring the obvious, and just loving, hospitable, caring, and all of us did that. And we didn't even orchestrate it. It just, that's what seemed to be right. And uh, it changed. At the end of the day, God's word cut through. You know, the whole thing changed. People's lives were changed at a night. It was a, it was a remarkable and wonderful thing, and then I got a huge education because you know me I grew up in New York City, fifties and sixties I had no no taste no understanding of those kinds of things that had gone on, and they were just ten years before, right? You know I mean this was these were all adults I mean Sam was a, a Vietnam veteran I mean these were all adult individuals they had all lived through it tasted it mm. felt it and this was brand new and just because i had some kid and i was a kid i mean if i was 25 i was a lot you know 25 26 probably 26 maybe 27 it's still a kid right and uh, so i'm younger than them all i got zero experience in any of this i have zero understanding really of their pain and Sam and Thomas really orchestrated the whole thing. And all I did was love them the way I was loved. And try to not step on too many toes. You know, and not make stupid mistakes. Let's put it that way. And then I just taught the Bible. I just taught the Bible. It was, it was just remarkable. So when I got there in Alabama, I had a, a small work. And when I left, the work was probably five times larger than when I got there three years before. Three
0: years, huh? That must have been pretty satisfying.
1: It was wonderful, and it was a family, and I was really sorry I had to leave because then they were sending me to Brooklyn.
0: <laughs> well, Wait, was that a good thing or a bad thing?
1: Well, it wasn't really I mean, a You're a New York guy. <laughs> yeah, I so. really didn't want to necessarily go back, let's put that Oh, really? Way. I never would have went back to New York on my own. Wow. Yeah. So everything about it, I mean, God proved his, his word again. And so many people were changed and lives were changed. And you, you saw great and wonderful things happening. It was a really wonderful thing. It was a privilege, a real privilege. And like I said, without uh, you know, just to bring this back around, if I didn't have that woman next to me, none of it would have happened. Just very grateful and thankful.
0: What would you say to a young minister starting out as advice or mistakes to avoid going into ministry?
1: I never, Sean, in my entire life, including today, I have never sought ministry. I have never sought to do the job. I have never considered it a career. And that's my advice. It's not a career. It's not. It's something that God works within an individual. He asks them to do something. You don't know how long it'll be or how short it'll be. It's all up to the Lord. I mean, I suggest that every single man be a God-fearing Christian and ask the Lord, what should I do? But I would not seek the ministry itself as a job. If you have the privilege of serving that way and God works it in your heart, praise the Lord. I mean, I went into the Bible college, the Wake Corps, to learn the scriptures, to go back home and to run a fellowship, knowing a little bit more than I knew before. That's, that was what I went there for. Um, everything since has been the Lord, and I am still shocked, although I'm too old now to do anything else for a living. I am, I am completely shocked that I have been able to do this so long. Mm-hmm. What would you say
0: to folks who have been standing for a long time, maybe decades, mm-hmm. and uh, are feeling a little stagnant in their faith?
1: If you really want to put uh, some wind in your sail, you start to think about what God has done for you. You start to meditate on how great He is, how wonderful He is how much he has done in your life. You start to count your blessings. It will put wind in your sail. It it will put your faith high in your heart. And then just look around. There's plenty to do. There's plenty to do and plenty to serve in. And it doesn't have to be in the quote and the quote big things. I mean, if you read the book of Ephesians, it's talking about taking care of your home. Right. Going to work and working heartily is unto the Lord. I mean, like you like Jesus is your boss. I mean, first start with the things that are real and in front of you in life. Study the word and ask God to share with you what He wants to teach you instead of what you want. You know, Pray and ask him to give you something to pray for that he wants accomplished and not necessarily what you want And maybe he will and maybe he won't, but you're at least you're you're in the game You know, you're in the arena There's no such thing as age with the Lord. I mean, I didn't know how to read and I was 20 something when I started and I'm 65 today and I I'm just in in the arena. I'm just asking him what's next. That's all I want to do. There's two days on the calendar, Martin Luther said. There's today and there's judgment day. (laughs) That's it. I can work hardly as unto the Lord today in light of the day of judgment. It's the only two days that there really are.
0: All right, well... Well, anything else that you would like to say in general or I mean
1: Well I just want to encourage God's people, Shauna, and study His Word. Ask questions. You know what I can't stand? What's I, got that? A, I got a church full of people who are wondering about things but they don't ask. I mean the whole purpose of our lives as ministers is to help them. Right. All you have to do is open your mouth and ask. And there's no such thing as a question that's a stupid one. I mean, and okay, maybe I won't have so much patience today, but you know what? I will get back and answer that question. I will. That's what a minister's supposed to do. Help people get to God. But you can't get there. It's like the Lord says, if you don't ask, mm-hmm. ask, knock, seek. But if you don't do those things, you you can't get there. And that's really like walking off the cliff. Yeah, you know, do you got enough humility in your life to ask to knock to seek? Or are you just going to wait and see if it falls in your lap? Right. I can tell you that from all my life it don't just fall in your lap.
0: No, you got to take the step of faith.
1: You, you got you got to walk towards it and you got to yep. seek it.
0: Do that, read your bible, you Walk with God. Yeah. Stay faithful. Yeah. Well, thanks so much for talking today. It's
1: been a pleasure. I appreciate it.
0: Before I go, I just wanted to let you know that we have a couple of links to follow up with John McCabe, including his recent sermon at Kingdom Fest last weekend on Yahweh, the only God, which you can check out on YouTube. I have a link in the show notes for this episode. Also, Visit his ministry website, which is called Christian Outreach Fellowships, and that's pretty easy. It's just christianoutreachfellowships.org. Also, you can order his book, Worship God's Desire for All Ages, on his other website, thebibleclass.com, and then click on Classes and Books, and then you can order his book for $16, and he's got a nice description and picture of that. I will include a link for that as well couple of other quick things. First of all, that these sermons from Kingdom Fest are now available for free online. I posted them on Restitudio, but not as a podcast, since they're YouTube videos. And I've got there seven of them. One by John McCabe, one by John Shaneheit, Stan Chi, Victor Gluck, and Vince Finnegan, Dwayne Kerr, Seth Ross. And this was just such a great time for all of these different groups to get together. This, for us, uh, speaking as a Living Hope International Ministries person, this was an unprecedented collaboration of so many groups, including Christian Outreach Fellowships, which is John McCabe's ministry, Spirit and Truth Fellowship, which is John Shaneheit in Bloomington, Indiana, Christian Disciples Church, which is throughout Asia, but also in Canada, Toronto, Canada, Stan Chi came, Living Faith Christian Church, from Warwick, Rhode Island, Victor represented them, of course our own group, and then the Church of God General Conference with locations throughout the country and in several other countries as well around the world, headquartered in McDonough, Georgia, represented by Seth Ross. So this was just a thrilling weekend to see an incredible unity around the truth that our God is one, and so I encourage you to check that out. Also, I wanted to let you know that we posted the worship praise night from Saturday night, led by Jacob Rohr, who is our music director, and he just did a phenomenal job along with the whole team there. So check that out. Just go over to restitudio.org and look for the post that says Kingdom Fest videos, and you can take a look at any of those. Also, I wanted to give a shout-out to those Restitudio listeners who came to Kingdom Fest for the first time, and I got to meet you, and that was awesome. And I'm so encouraged by your courage to come to an event where you basically knew no one. And it was uh, such a great time we had together. So thanks for coming to those folks. And thanks to all those who helped out at Kingdom Fest and helped us to make this event possible. And uh, we hope to see you again next year. That's it for today. And remember, the truth has nothing to fear.